Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Happy New Year. Glad that you're here. Thank you for choosing to start your new year with us here at Southbridge. I believe it's going to be an awesome year. We're beginning a new series today called Transform, asking the question, how does God change us? How does he want to transform you in this new year? And we've got some great stuff that's coming up, ways for you to get connected in the church, and we're going to be talking about some things that are unique about us as a church, but really asking the question, how does God want to change me individually? And then he's going to do a transformation to us corporately, and then Lord willing, in and throughout our city. And so as we jump into this series, let me pray for us. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today. For those of you who brought a copy of the Bible or are going to use your Bible app or whatever it is you want to get there, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to be focusing on verse 18, but let me pray. Father, I come before you right now and I ask you'd fill this place with your presence. We know that you're present everywhere all the time, but will you, will you manifest your presence? Will you let us sense that you're here? Will you speak into hearts and lives and whisper to some, yell at others, whatever it is you need to do, God, to get through to us and invite, as Pastor Seth even said, uh, you're inviting, inviting people to come to know you and people to come back to you. And some maybe here as a New Year's resolution or some maybe haven't been at church in years and uncomfortable and unsure. And God, I pray that you just help them to feel welcomed and loved and pursued and wanted. And Father, I pray for those of us that need you to excite or ignite a passion in our hearts that you do that and fan that flame. Your word is living and active. I pray, God, that you just cut to our souls with it today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we get started in this series, I want to begin by asking you a question. You may want to write down the answer. It's your choice. I'm not going to ask you to turn it in or anything like that, but on your, your app or if you take notes and you get the outline down, you might want to write down the answer to this question. If you could change one thing about your life or your life circumstances, what would it be? If you could change one thing this year in 2019 and you knew what would happen, if you could change one thing about your life, what would you change? And we are people, as Americans, we love transformation, don't we? And we've got a whole channel, HGTV. How many of you people watch HGTV? I watch that. You got Chip and JoJo, they got the big reveal with that huge picture that they pulled up in front. If I was having my house renovated by them, I would be wondering, why did you spend so much money on that picture? You could have used that on the house. But they do it because it's part of their reveal. Because here, here's, let me tell you the secret. It doesn't matter if it's Chip and JoJo, if it's Love It or Listed, it's in Raleigh, or like all these different shows that are on there. They're all a glorified before and after picture. There's a little bit of drama in the middle. Hey, there's some asbestos. There's a wiring problem. The budget doesn't fit. Like all, but it's all about like how did the house look and then how does it look now, before and after. We want to know how does a house look like this at one moment and then 30 minutes later, it looks like this. Boom. How did you do that? And we just want that. We want that before and after picture. Now, as we're getting ready for this series, I was doing a little bit of reading about before and after pictures, and I came across a show. I had never heard of this show before. Maybe I'm just like in the dark about it. Maybe some of you know it's on TLC. It's called My 600-Pound Life. You see this? A couple of you are like, oh, yeah. Or some of you are like, whoa. It's, uh, it's about people that are morbidly obese, like 600 and more pounds. Like some of the people are well over 600 pounds. And in this show, they lose hundreds of pounds. And one of the people I came across, one of their most famous people that have been on the show, is a woman named Melissa. She was 653 pounds when she came on the show. Here's her before and after picture. 653 pounds in this picture, about 178 pounds in that picture. Those of you who are doing the math, that's about almost 500 pounds. That's transformation. I mean, think about some of you, if you lost 100 pounds, you'd disappear. Like 500 pounds? That's a lot. That's a tra- and we, we, we're excited about 
from this to that, from that, and it, you know what? It's not just TV shows. Like, if you TV shows, we could talk all day. It's, you know, renovate my garage, or this motorcycle, Orange City choppers, or, you know, the cars, and it's like all these different things, and it's what did it look like before? What does it look like after? We love the transformation. Marketers know this too. It's not just TV shows. Try and sell a product. You want to sell some shampoo? So some really crazy, frizzy hair, then show some really straight, healthy hair, and just use this shampoo. There, there it is. You want to, this car, your car has a bad paint job, they'll show like a dull paint job, and then it's usually infomercials for this kind of stuff, right? You ever stay up and watch infomercials, can't go to sleep, some of you like with me on that? It's like, these, this bottle of, this, that does this, it changes it from dull to shiny? It should cost you $5,000, but you can have four bottles for $19.95, plus shipping and handling. And it, some of you know the shipping, it's like not Amazon Prime, they're jacking up the shipping and handling, whatever. We love that transformation, and it can be vitamins, it can be like every product that's out there. They want to show your teeth. This is what your teeth look like before you use this crest, and now there's new and improved. How many times can you improve crest? And here, there's the new and improved crest, and here's the whiter teeth, and we, we love that transformation. Now, hopefully, you've had enough time to think about the answer to your question. If you could change one thing about your life, what would you change? Now, let me ask you this question, the follow-up. What would God change about your life? And I don't share this next analogy to condemn anybody. I don't know what you picked for your, your choice of what you would change in your life. But can you imagine if I went to somebody who had stage three cancer? And I said, God wants to change something in your life. If you got to pick what it would be, what would you pick? And they said back to me, I want a new shirt. I'd like a new outfit. And they picked something exterior and ignored how ironic to ignore the tumors inside their body that are killing them. And many of us, I don't know what you picked. You think about 2019, I'd change my bank account balance, or I'd change my waistline, or I'd, I'd do this more, or that less, or... Well, God wants to do a work. I know, I know that God has a goal for you in 2019. And I know that based on the Bible. And I know his goal is to transform you. And the way he wants to do it is from the inside out. And so we're doing this series called Transform, asking the question, how? How does God change us? And one of the things we're going to see as we go through it is we're going to talk about really our DNA as a church. The outline of the messages are some of the distinctives of our church. It's one, some of you have been in churches before, and one of the things that makes us unique is from some churches, not all churches, is that some churches will just try and make you feel fearful or guilty. And if you just keep doing it, God's going to, he's going to be done with you at some point. And stop, they try to get you to change behaviors in hopes that that's going to somehow change your heart. But our belief is that God changes your heart, and then that flows into the outside of what happens. And so some of you have read our website before you came to visit here today, and I'm just going to go to the, the section of our website and just read you a part of it, where it's called Who We Are as a Church. And Who We Are as a Church starts with our mission. It says, we are passionate about connecting people to Jesus for life change. Now, if you've been around Southbridge for a little while, you've heard that. We, we exist to connect people to Jesus for life change. Here's the problem if you've heard that for a while. What can happen is you forget, it implies we need to be changed. <laughs> and what we oftentimes do is we think to ourselves, I know somebody who needs, my boss is a jerk. He needs Jesus. I'm going to bring him to church. And then he's going to be connected to Jesus for life change. And we forget God wants to change us too. And so we're passionate about connecting people to Jesus for life change. This motivates us to pursue. And then there's three key words. And these are some of our distinctives. It's really the outline of this series. We're just going to focus on the first one today, encounter, equip, and engage. But the encounter one, will you read it with me? It says, life change happens when we encounter the living God. A genuine encounter with God happens when we see him accurately and respond appropriately. This means every time we gather, we pursue the presence of the one who formed us, pursued us, 
redeems us, and loves us unconditionally. And so I ask you the question again. If you could change one thing, what would you pick? And you might want to write it down because we'll refer back to it as we're going through this message. But what does God want to change? And the real question of the sermon is, how does he do that? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And what's going on in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it's very interesting. In fact, it's rare that if you look at different Bible scholars, they all agree on something. But almost all Bible scholars agree universally that 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is the New Testament commentary on something that happened in the Old Testament. And Exodus chapter 32 through 34. Now, I don't know if you read Exodus 32 through 34. Maybe you're reading through the Bible in a year. If you're already at Exodus 32, you're killing it. Way to go. But Exodus chapter 32 through 34, if you haven't read it, you should read it. It's an amazing chapter of Scripture, or passages of Scripture. What's happening there is that God has freed his people, the Israelites, from 400 years of bondage to Egypt. The leader of the people is a guy named Moses, kind of popular, probably heard of him. Moses goes up on a mountain, Exodus chapter 32, he's been up there for over a month. And the people say, let's make a God, and we're going to claim that that God is the one that led us out. The God didn't even exist, until, but we're going to make this, gold, they make a golden calf. It's, a fam, it's the, probably the most famous passage in the Old Testament of idolatry. Now, oftentimes when we talk about idolatry, we think of little statues like golden calves and things like that. Idolatry is when we put something in the place of God. That's what they're doing. The reason why we create idols in our lives is because we want to fill the void that's in our life that only God can fill, and we try to fill it with other stuff. And that's what they're doing. And so they make this little statue, and God tells Moses about it. God's ticked. He's burning hot angry at the people, ready to wipe them out. Moses gets mad too. He goes down from the mountain. He's got the Ten Commandments. That's the old covenant. It's the old promise. The way that worked was, obey these, and I'll bless you. Disobey them, and I'll curse you. The problem was... That people weren't given the ability to obey the commandments. They were just given the commandments. It revealed God's character, the commandments do. But they really led to death and condemnation because no one could obey them. That's the old covenant. Moses comes down. He's ticked. He has Aaron. Aaron's his brother. He says, Aaron, what happened here? Now, parents, I just wonder if you've ever done. Have you ever caught your kids with like the proverbial hand in the cookie jar? Like you catch them doing something. Maybe they ate a bunch of brownies and they got chocolate all over their face. And you're like, what happened? And they're like, they're just gone. I don't know. That's kind of how it happens with Moses and Aaron. What really happened is that Aaron told all the people, give me your gold, all your gold ornaments. I'm going to make a golden calf. And with his own hands, he fashioned a calf. But when Moses says what happened, he says, I put in the gold and out came this calf. And I think, every time I read it, I think, did Moses think, do I have stupid written on my head? Like, are you seriously telling me this? Moses is ticked but not anything compared to God's anger. God sends a plague. God's wrath comes on the people, but Moses comes, he goes to atone for the people, willing to even give up his own life. You just don't forget these, these are your people, God, for your name's sake, keep these people, Exodus 33. Then Exodus chapter 34, God gives him new stone tablets, and he comes down off the mountain, and he's been in God's presence, and his face, he doesn't know it, but his face is shining with glory. The people can't bear it, so he puts a veil over his face, that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 3 has been talking about. But the point of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is to contrast the old covenant, obey me and I'll bless you, disobey me and I'll curse you, with the new covenant. What's the new covenant? Well, the new covenant is what's promised. It's talked about in Jeremiah. Sometimes we hear our, pastor, our worship pastor, Seth, oftentimes prays, I think it's just a burden on his heart. Give us hearts of flesh. Remove the heart of stone. That's the Jeremiah passage he's praying, by the way. There. You maybe you've heard some of our elders or pastors when they lead us in communion, we celebrate communion together. They'll quote the passage in Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, where Jesus is doing the Last Supper with his disciples and he takes the cup and says, this, 
This cup is the new covenant of my blood. It's the new covenant of the shed blood of Jesus that could cover our sins, forgive us of our sins, and we can be reconciled to him. But here's one of the great parts of the new covenant. Not only are we forgiven of our sins, but he gives us the spirit. And the spirit not only informs informs us about how to obey God, but empowers us to obey God. And so what Paul's telling us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is, what you have as a New Testament believer is way better than what Moses experienced on that mountain. And so let's look at it. I'll read to you verses 7 through 18, but really I'm going to tell you the whole message is really from verse 18, but I want you to get some of the context here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Now if the ministry of death, let's talk about the old covenant, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Amen. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness was far exceeded in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has become to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Amen. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, did you see how many times it said glory in that passage? Here's something for you to know. When you study your Bible, when things are repeated, they're being emphasized. Just in verses 7 through 11, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Some of you have different versions. And so the words are there. In the Greek, there's a certain amount of words there, but they'll translate them in nuances for different reasons. In my version, it says it 10 times the word glory is used in verses 7 through 11. In verse 18, and on the translation I just read to you, two times... The word glory is there. Some of you have translations that have it three times there. Here's the point. Glory is bursting from this passage. What's being talked about here is glory. And what Paul's saying is this. Moses got nothing on the glory you get to experience as a New Testament believer. Did you see how he, he contrasts those? He gives those different reasons. This one's ending. This one surpasses it. But did you notice even when he talks about the old covenant, when he talks about the law, when he talks about at least the death and condemnation, he still talks about it as glorious. He doesn't contrast it with, here's a bad thing and here's a good thing. He's like, these are two good things. One is just so much more glorious. It's like, imagine with me that you were born in a place where it was always nighttime. You know how like in, uh, not Australia, uh, Alaska, sorry, Wendy, not Australia, uh, Alaska. In Alaska, it can be like nighttime for months at a time. I've never been there and experienced it, but I think like six months at a time, it can be dark out. And can you imagine if it was like that for years where you were born? Like you, you never saw daytime. It was always nighttime. Like you're born and it's nighttime. And you take your first steps outside and it's nighttime. Are you picturing snow? For some reason I imagine snow in this. Like there's snow there. It's cold. It's dark. There's a moon. The moon is a bright light. And you go to school. So the first day at school, it's nighttime. You graduate from school. It's nighttime. But one day you wake up and there's a light in the sky called the sun 
And scientists say it's 400,000 times brighter than the full moon. So you've never seen a light like this before. It actually changes the color of the sky from black to blue. The snow's starting to melt. Amen. From Michigan. That's always a good thing. That's what Moses is saying here. See, the law, it revealed God's character. It was glorious, but it didn't empower you to obey it. It didn't forgive your sins. See, no one was ever saved by obeying. No one ever obeyed the whole law. The new, it's so much more glorious. Like, and now we all, with unveiled faces, better than what Moses experienced, we get to behold it. We can have encounters with the living God is what he's talking about. And the way we do it is by beholding the glory of God. So if you want to have an encounter with the living God, you want to be transformed? We ask about how God transforms us. He transforms us by having an encounter with him. Do you want to have that encounter? You've got to behold his glory. That's our first point today. There's only two. You must behold God's glory. You want to have an encounter with the living God? You must behold his glory. And we read it together, what an encounter with God looks like. We said that it's when we see him accurately and we respond appropriately. In light of what we, what's been revealed to us, we then respond to that revelation. We see him accurately and then we respond appropriately. And we see that all throughout the Bible, people having those kind of encounters. You got Moses going up on the mountain, Moses in the tent, Moses with the burning bush. You got other people than Moses, Isaiah and Isaiah 6. You know, Isaiah, if you've never read that passage, what happens is Isaiah finds himself in the throne room of God. There's angels covering their face with two wings, covering their feet with two wings, flying around. They're singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Do you know what Isaiah does when he realizes he's in the presence of God? He says, Woe to me! I'm a sinful man. I live among sinful people. I've got unclean lips the way he says it. He's repenting. What he does is an encounter with God. He sees him accurately, wholly, without sin, and realizes, I've got sin. And he responds appropriately, and he repents. Or you think about in Revelation chapter 1, John. John's an interesting guy, because he was on, on earth, walking with Jesus. When Jesus was walking on the earth, they were best friends. Read the Gospel of John. He wrote it, but he says, the one whom Jesus loves. I don't know if this is like not very humble at that point or what, but I think they're just really close. He's always close with Jesus, if you see it. He seems to be the one that's right there with him. He's in that inner circle. And then Jesus has died. But in Revelation chapter 1, he sees the resurrected Christ. And the way it's described is that he hears a voice coming from behind him. It sounds like rushing water. And so he does what any of us would do. He turns around. But then when he sees Jesus with eyes like fire and hair white like wool and a gold sash around him and feet that are like bronze, that have been burnished in the, the furnace. He doesn't go, hey, buddy! It says he falls down as though dead. And then Jesus, seeing his character again, so gracious, touches him. He says, I am the living one, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. I have the keys over death, like we sang about today. And he graciously allows him to see him. But he, he sees him in his glory and responds in humility. Sees him accurately, responds appropriately. And what are we told to do here? That, that, verse 18. I told you that's where this sermon would come from, verse 18. Look at it. It says, and we all, you might want to underline that. That means all y'all here in North Carolina, all y'all. Do you know what that means? Not just Moses. See, in the old covenant, one guy went into the tent. and come back and tell the rest of us what happened. This means not just your pastor, not just your favorite Christian celebrity author, not just all of us as New Testament believers. All y'all 
with unveiled face. See, what happened is that Moses, when he would go up to be with God, when he was with the people, he covered his face. They couldn't handle even the afterglow of God's glory because of their sin. But when he would go into the presence of God, he'd remove the veil so he could be transformed. We all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord. Now let's just pause right there before we can get to the transformation. How does that happen? How do we behold the glory of the Lord? Because I'm going to promise you, you're probably not going to find yourself this evening in the throne room of God with angels flying around, covering two of their feet and two of their face and singing holy, holy, holy. I don't think a bush is going to speak to you. If it does, we'd love to meet with you. We have pastoral counseling we offer. We'd like to talk to you. Probably not going to have that experience. There's no mountain for us to climb. There's not a special tent that we go into. How do we behold the glory of God as a New Testament believer? How does that even happen? Well, I've shared with you two before, when you're studying the Bible, context is king. What is the context? I told you it's like in real estate. Location, location, location. And studying your Bible, context, context, context. It's not just what comes before, though. It's also what comes after. And a lot of times, you know, verse 18, we're at the end of chapter 3. I'm done. Close it up. Reading plan. <laughs> there were no chapters and verses when the Bible was originally written. That's in there for our convenience. And so go down to chapter 4. Chapter 4, we, get to, we see how it happens. Look at verse 6. Put it on the screen if you don't have it. It says, for God, so he's the one who does it. For God, who said, let light shine out of, the same God who said, let there be light, said this, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we see it through Jesus. God's got to open the eyes of our hearts. You see, there's a reason why some people don't believe, and it's not a lack of information. Now, there's some people, they need to hear the gospel. If they've never heard the gospel, it says Romans chapter 10, verse 17. How will they know unless someone sends? How are they going to hear unless somebody preaches to them? And some, that's you. Like, you're here in the city to tell the gospel to different people if you've heard it. But some people know the gospel. They still don't believe. In fact, a lot of people saw Jesus and rejected him. The religious leaders killed him. Why? Go up a couple verses. Verse, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Their issue is not an information issue. They can't see. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In fact, earlier, we read this together already. Paul tells us why the Jews, why they reject it. They can go to the synagogue every week and hear the scriptures of Moses, which ultimately point to Jesus, and miss Jesus. He tells us why, verses 15 and 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, that's conversion, the veil is removed. When God opens your eyes, like he did the author of this book, the guy named Apostle Paul, he tells his story in the book of Acts, who thought at one time he was serving God by trying to eradicate Christianity, but God opened his eyes to see that Jesus Christ is the key to being reconciled with God, that we're all separate from God, is because of what Jesus did on the cross for us when his, the new covenant, when his blood was shed to forgive us of our sins, and he turns to Christ, his eyes are open. And you know what he says then later? He keeps talking about, I hope the eyes of your, like in Ephesians chapter one, I pray that the eyes of your heart, not the eyes on your head, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. So there's people that are seeing, but they're blind. They can see, they can read, but they, God hasn't opened their heart. So it's that conversion that he opens our eyes. And that's a supernatural miracle that only God can do. So we want to connect people to Jesus because Jesus is the one that changes lives. Connect people to Jesus for life change. But what about believers? Because then what can happen is you go, I am converted. I have trust in Christ. And remember, Paul's writing to a church in Corinth. 
These are believers he's writing to. So how does a believer behold the glory of God? It's a key question here. It says we all. He's talking to all of us as believers. And here's the answer. Through the gospel truths that we find in Scripture. If we want to see him accurately, we've got to see where is he, where is he portrayed accurately. I could just say to you, by looking at Jesus. Because in John chapter 1, John chapter 1 says that no one has seen God. What about Moses? If you go back and look, Moses only got, he couldn't even handle seeing God. He'd die. He'd get a glimpse of God's glory. No one has seen God. John chapter 1 verse 18. But if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. Now here's why I wouldn't tell you that answer. Because there's so many versions of Jesus out there. There's the southern version of Jesus. By the way, he's a gentleman. I think he wears a bow tie, in fact. He's got great manners. He's not the Jesus you find in the Bible. There's an Americanized version of Jesus, oftentimes associated with the prosperity gospel, but there's all kinds of light versions of that spreading around that if you just believe in Jesus enough, he'd help you accomplish the American dream. But remember, the key to have an encounter with Jesus, you've got to see him accurately. So you know who Jesus that is? It's the Jesus of the Bible. So you have to go to the scriptures. The scriptures will point you to who is Jesus really? And so... I love what John MacArthur, or John, John Piper, I'm sorry, says in his book, Reading the Bible Supernaturally. He explains this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 better than I do, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But here's this quote I want to pull, you, pull out for you to, to get. He talks about our eyes being open. He says, Once the gospel was an uninteresting painting on the wall, then suddenly we see for the first time with wonder that it's not a painting after all, but a window into the Himalayas, the glories of Christ. Through the windows, the gospel shines, and then he quotes this passage from 2 Corinthians. The light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so the picture I get when I read that quote is I imagine staying at a hotel. Because if you go to some hotels, and I don't mean like some fancy hotel, but just like a regular hotel, not a Holiday Inn, uh, because they have a great day, but a, but a regular hotel. Just think about it, like whatever that is to you. They put some pretty lame paintings on the wall. You see, like grapes. Flowers, no one wants to. How can you make flowers ugly? But somebody does with like some dull paint. And you imagine like an uninteresting painting. And imagine you're staying at this hotel for like a week. And so you just keep walking by. It's by the elevator or whatever. You walk by, you see this painting. You walk by, see this painting. It's nothing. It's nothing. But then all of a sudden you look and you realize, that's not a painting, that's a window. And you look out the window. And Piper says the Himalayas. But I'm more of a beach than a mountain guy. And so this week, I did a little Google search. Where's the bluest water in the world? And there were a lot of places that came up on the internet. One of them has mountains and water. It's called Banff, Canada. And we got a picture of it here. And I asked somebody, I've not been to this place, but I asked somebody who's been to this place, said, no, it really looks like that in person. Because I wondered if it was like all these enhancements or whatever on the picture. I said, no, it really looks like that. And in fact, there's a guy in my small group it's from Canada, and uh, we were having dinner a few weeks ago, and he was telling me a story. He didn't live by Banff, but he was there on a business trip, and he's got some family that's by there. And some of the guys, there were people at this business trip from all over the world. In fact, there was a group of guys that were there from Mexico, and they had never been there before. And so he said to them, it's only a couple hours drive, let's go. And they went, and he said when they got there and they saw it in person, they were crying because it was so beautiful. And they got down on their knees and were drinking the water out of the lake. Because they couldn't believe how clean it was. Now, imagine you're walking through that hotel room, hotel hallway. And you realize that painting's not a picture, it's a window. And you look out and you see this. 
And then I say to you, tell me everything that you can tell me about Banff. You got some choices. You can go to the Wikipedia page and you can learn all the facts there are to know about Banff, Canada. Or you can go out there and you can get in the water. And see, that's the difference of how different people approach the scriptures. It's not just about looking into the Bible. How do you approach the scriptures? Because if you think there's going to be a test someday, going to the Wikipedia page is a great way to learn a bunch of stuff about Banff Canada. But if you want your life changed, then get in the water. And some of us, when we come to the scriptures, it's just like, I'm going to learn these verses, I'm going to do this so I can show how much I know and then memorize these things. It's not wrong to memorize the Bible. These, these words are living and active. So something that was written 2,000 years ago can then speak into the exact thing that's happening in your office today. And what they're designed to reveal is Christ. You know what Jesus says to guys who know the Bible better than anybody that are walking the planet? He said, you think that by knowing the scriptures, you're going to have eternal life. What a joke. They point to me. They missed Jesus in the Bible. And so you've got to ask yourself the question, when I come to the scriptures, is it so I can fulfill my reading plan because I said I was going to read the Bible more in 2019? Or is it because I want to meet the living Christ? And he's going to change you. You've got to decide, Wikipedia page? Or are you going to get in the water? Dive in. The, the scripture, because what happens is, as you see Jesus in the scriptures, you see how much he loves you. And you start to love other people. You see how much he served you, and it frees you to start serving other people. What he does is he starts to transform you. As you behold his glory, he transforms you into the image he desires you to be transformed into. As you behold God, God transforms you. And so he takes the pride in your life, and he starts changing it into humility. He takes the impatience in your life, and he starts to change it into patience. He takes the, the selfishness in your life, and he changes it into servanthood. He takes the, the pride, the sin, the lust, takes that, and he starts to change it into a hunger and a thirst for righteousness as you see him, and you see what he's like, and you realize that he's the ultimately the only one that actually satisfies. But you've got to behold his glory. And if you behold his glory, that's how he transforms you. He says it right here in this passage in verse 18. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being trans as we behold we become. That's our second point. As we behold we become. I'll give you a second to write it down. Those of you are taking notes and I'll read that verse again. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. How are we transformed? As we behold we become. As we're beholding we're being transformed. Do you notice that both those are in the present tense, by the way? I told you before as a church that the present tense is the continuous tense. Here's why. It's always the present tense. It's not, it was the present, no, that's the past tense. It will be the present, no, that's the future tense. You and I always live in the present. So it's the present now. Now? Now. Isn't it funny how that just keeps happening? It continuously, that's the, the present tense. So as you're continually beholding Jesus, he's continually transforming you. Greg Beale, author, wrote a book, and some guys write lots of books, like 20, that's like who they are, they're book writers, and then every once in a while they'll write a book, and it's like, that's their book, that's the book that describes like their whole ministry, that's this book. Greg Beale's book called We Become What We Worship has this as the thesis of the whole book. This quote will be on the screen. What people revere, they resemble either for ruin or for restoration. 
So that means it's not just about Jesus, by the way. What we revere, we, re- we become like. And we behold, we become. For ruin, depends on what we're dwelling on, where our affections are at, or for restoration, Jesus, the gospel truths of the scripture, when we see them accurately, and then we respond appropriately. And, and what he's saying here is, is what you dwell on, it determines your future. See, some of us think that we're going to focus on the world and focus on the world's goals and focus on the things that the American dream and all that kind of stuff, and that somehow we're going to magically, because we showed up at a church on Sunday, be like Jesus more at the end of 2019. That's not how, that doesn't work that way. What we behold, we become. And what Beale's really telling us here is that our affections today tell us where we're going to end up tomorrow. It's kind of like, I remember when I graduated from seminary, I decided I was going to start golfing. <laughs> I had this stereotype that if you're a pastor, you have to golf. And uh, so I, I went and I got some golf clubs. I brought some of them here with me. And uh, I took the golf clubs out. And I had a buddy that was really good at golf. He golfed in college. And I was like, hey, we need to hang out together. We're living in Dallas at the time. We'd always go to the same, same place to go golfing. We'd go golfing. And I'd go out there. And it'd be awesome. You know, it's not like I'd never done it before. And so I'd go out there. I'd, I'd hit it. And brave man. Didn't even move. I love that. And uh, it was amazing how consistent it was when I would hit the ball. Because I'd hit the ball, and it'd go straight for like 100, 150 maybe. If I hit it really good, 200 yards. But then it would take this sharp right turn. And I didn't know how it was doing that. But it would whoosh. And then if there was water, water was like a magnet. It was just sucking the ball in there. If, if, it was on a, if I was on a, like a neighborhood course, like rooftops, I'm so sorry, some of you, I've hit your house, I'm sure. Uh, trees, like it would just, it would just whoosh. And so what I started to do as I started to adjust my game. So like if I wanted to hit it that way, I'd aim over here. Because I'm like, I know it's going to boom. And so like every once in a while there's a hole that goes like that. I'll be like, this is my hole. Like this is awesome. And one day I'm at the driving range. And my buddy who's really good at golf said, I'm going to give you a lesson. Stop. Stop doing everything you're doing. Just stop. He got tired of me chasing balls into the woods while he's trying to golf. And so then he took two more clubs and he laid them down on the ground, and he said, these are like railroad tracks, okay? We're going to teach you how to aim. And he said, what I want you to do, stop trying to hit the ball as hard as you can, which was counterintuitive to me, but I said, all right, all right. He said, I want the club to be straight when it hits the ball. And then he walked up to me, and I was like, I'm married. Back off, buddy. What are you doing? He said, said, I want you to aim your shoulders. He said, where you put your shoulders and your hips is going to determine where that ball ends up. As long as you keep that club straight. Do you know what he was teaching me? Teaching where you aim now is going to determine where you end up in the future. You know what the reality is? That's true in our spiritual journeys as well. So some of you heard when you were kids, maybe parents said this, garbage in, garbage out. Remember that one? Like if you, you listen to that bad music, you're going to have bad thoughts. If you watch those bad movies, you're going to... And so some of us were like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, parents are just too uptight. And some of us are like, all right, I get it. Here's what many people did. Many people get that information. There's truth in that information. And what they do is they go, all right, not too much naughty, right? I watch this movie, as long as it doesn't swear, or doesn't say words to start with that letter. You all know the same letter. I'm going to do this. I can listen to these songs as long as they're not too graphic. But, and what we do is we're like, as long as they're just not too much naughty, but what we never even think about is, is this conforming me to this world? Is it transforming me to be like Christ? And so we got to be able to say, and I'm not saying, you, hey, don't avoid, I'm not saying avoid everything in the world, but you need to have been in the scriptures enough to where you can go, that's not true. 
Well, you're, you're trying to get me to think a way that's not consistent with what God's trying to do to transform me into. And, and so what we dwell on determines where we become. As we behold, we become. What we revere, we resemble. And, and Paul goes on in this passage to talk about how God does this. He says, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image. We're all, here's God's, this is how I, I can say, I don't even know some of your names, but I told you I know what God's goal is for you for 2019. Here's God's goal for you, so you'd be like Jesus Christ. He wants to make you more like Christ, but then he tells us how he does that too. Look at, look what he says. The same image from one degree of glory to another. <laughs> you know what that means? It means we're all in progress. And he's changing us a little bit at a time. And that's so gracious of him. Now here's the bad news. Sometimes it's more like a sundial than it is a stopwatch. And, and, and we hear these stories in the Bible. He was lost and now he's found. Blind and now he sees. Didn't have, he had leprosy, doesn't have leprosy. And we think, we get in our minds, no one says this to us, but we think, if I just went to the right church service, if I just read the right devotional book, if I just had the, I need some moment, it's going to fix everything. And God can do that. But that's not normally how he does that. Usually what happens is you become a little bit more patient. A little bit more humble. I remember when I first trusted Christ, I was 18 years old. Some of you are going to laugh at this. Some of you are going to be like, yeah. It just depends on where you're at. We're all at different places. I was 18 years old, trusted Jesus as my Savior. And I thought, if I could just stop partying, like getting drunk and all the stuff that went with that, then I'd be like super Christian. And God was so gracious to not show me all the things he needed to change. And then progressively, like if he would have revealed to me at that moment, hey, your pride, you have an inability to even relate with people because you keep trying to use people. You're lost. You're an you can't listen because you're always wanting to talk. Like all the selfishness in my, I'd have been overwhelmed. I'd be like, this is never going to happen. God's gracious. From one degree to the next, but all ultimately for all of us to the same image, Jesus Christ. As we behold Christ, we start to see, hey, he's not trying to zap you. He's patiently waiting for you to come back, to come to him. He's pursuing you. He loves you. He wants you. Can't have you in his presence, not because he hates you, it's because he's holy and you got sin. And so he loved you so much, he came up with a solution for that, killing his own son. That's how much he loves you. But he'd shed his blood for you, and his son would willingly go to the cross for you. And so that's why he has the name that's above every name. That's why the guy who writes this book, he did change. He went from trying to eradicate Christianity to saying, I consider everything in my life up to that point rubbish. Pastor Scott Mason, rubbish. It's like a British translation. It's a bunch of garbage is what he's saying. It's actually a swear word. That's a bunch of garbage. In comparison to knowing Christ, he says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and I'll go through whatever it takes to become like the fellowship of his suffering. Do you know what he says next? Pressing on towards the goal. What's your goal? What's your goal for 2019? He knows the goal. The goal is that he becomes like Jesus. Some of us will go after our financial goals, our career goals, our relationship goals, like all these physical goals. We'll, we'll sacrifice, we'll do all kinds of stuff. And then we're like, well, how come I'm not becoming more like Jesus? I show up at church on Sundays. 
what we behold, we become. What we revere, we resemble. Where we're aimed today will determine where we're at tomorrow. And do you know what happens? Some of us are scared to behold his glory because we don't know how he's going to change us and we're not sure we're going to like it. But can I tell you something? People that do become greedy for God's glory. In fact, the context for this passage, Exodus chapter 32 through 34, do you know what's in the middle of Exodus 32 through 34? It's Exodus 33. Isn't that an amazing observation? (laughs) But you've got to read Exodus 33. Exodus 33 is an amazing chapter of Scripture. Because Moses, he's talking with God, and God says, he's not going to wipe out the people, he's going to be gracious with the people, for his name's sake. And then he says, God, if you don't go with us, no one's going to know that we have your favor, that we're distinct, you come with us. God says, I'll go with you. And do you know what Moses says in Exodus 33, verse 18? He says, show me your glory. You see what happens as God transforms us is we become more bold. It says it in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil. Like, first of all, Moses is bold, okay? The guy stands before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the entire world, but he knows he's standing there on behalf of God, so he's bold. But then he stands before God and says, you know what, wipe me out. What? Annihilate me. Don't annihilate your people. He's bold. We can be more bold. Not just bold in our proclamation, but bold in our pursuit of him. But think about his pursuit. Moses says, show me your glory. Now, I get it if you've like never seen God's glory. But Moses is in Exodus chapter 33. Do you know what comes before that? Exodus 3, the burning bush. You're the only dude that got that experience. Do you know what else? Crossing the Red Sea. All the plagues that you just witnessed. That, that you, you, he's seen God's glory over and over. He's the only guy that gets to go inside the tent. He's greedy for God's glory. Because once, you, once you've tasted it, once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you want more of that. You want a goal for 2019? How about you become greedy for God's glory? Well, how do I behold it? By getting into his word. By, by passion, like Paul, I want to know Christ, passionately going after Jesus Christ. Because what you behold, you become. You want to be changed? You want to be changed the way that God's plan to change? See, God's going to complete his work. It might be a little more painful for some of us than others. But he began a good work in us. He'll be faithful to complete that work. And his work is is going to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And so how are you going to pursue that this year? And can, can I talk to you, just some of you that are men here today, specifically the men? Not negative towards the ladies, but can I tell you what happens in our city over and over again? It's Genesis chapter 3. It's recontextualized. In Genesis chapter 3, what happens is, is that that Adam stands by passively. He's there while his wife's being tempted with the fruit. She takes the fruit. He doesn't step in. God gave Adam the commandments. Now, here's the deal. Adam's killing it at work. He named all the animals. He was doing awesome. But he's passive in his home. And he's not leading spiritually. Then what happened? Well, this woman, she did it. And then who does God hold accountable? Just through one man sent into the world. I gave you the commandment. And what's the curse? The curse is for the woman. You know, the curse is for the woman. She's going to want to rule over her husband. How does that happen? Sometimes it happens with a domineering woman. Oftentimes it happens with a really sweet woman who's so nice and manipulative to get her way. And you know what she does, guys? She goes to Bible studies around this community and prayer meetings, and she talks about how she wishes you would lead spiritually in the home. But you know what? She doesn't really want you to lead spiritually in the home. She likes to be in control. 
You know what we need, guys? We need you to lead in the home. What does that look like? Just take the initiative for the sake of you. You don't have to be some historic leader, Abraham Lincoln of spirituality, okay? Moses, Martin Luther King, William Wallace. Like, it's not a men's meeting, all right? Like, just take the initiative for the sake of your home, and it'll begin with your devotion, the transformation in your home. It doesn't begin with family devotions. It begins with your devotion to Jesus. And as you're devoted to Christ and you pursue, what does that look like? Well, you've got be, you to be in his word. Not just so you can say, hey, I read his word today. Check. Go tell my buddies. No. Like beholding his glory. Get in the water. Banff, Canada. Dive in. Jesus is more glorious. And he will change you. But you got to, you got to, how do I do that? Well, you can read the Bible in a year. There's all kinds of plans for that. I don't care if you read Jude a thousand times, okay? And Jesus is there. He's all throughout the scriptures. The word's living and active. It will transform you. Get in the Word. Commit to being in the Word this year. Pursuing it. Fast. What have, you ever have you tried fasting? You know what fasting is? You give up something to increase your passion for something else. So you give up satisfaction to increase your passion. So it could be food, social media. You pick your thing. Try, try fasting. Try praying. Why don't you just try this? Just simple, like five minutes a day. If the first thing in your day, you just let your knees hit the ground. No, i got to go to the bathroom. No, no, before that. You don't know me, Scott. i got to have my coffee. I get it. Jesus can deal just as you are. Knees hit the ground, especially if you're a proud person. And you don't have to pray for every missionary. Just, God, I need you. What's your plan for my day? To focus you on, oh, Lord. The people you're with, next week you're going to hear more about groups and small groups. Some of you might be in small groups with a bunch of negative Nellies. Let me tell you something. Quit that group. They're going to die anyways. Like the people you're around influences who you become. You need to be around some people that are pushing you more and more towards Jesus. And so you need, you, need the rela- you need real relationships that aren't just going to talk about the game and the playoffs. and the, like You need some people to ask you, not just how's it going at work, but who are you praying for at your work? Not just are you reading your Bible, how are you becoming more like Jesus? See, where you're aimed today dictates where you end up at the end of this year. What you revere you resemble. You behold his glory by getting the truth and he transforms us one degree to the next. So I asked you the question at the beginning. If you could change one thing, what would it be? And what does God want to change in you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you, you haven't left us here guessing. You have spoken and you've spoken directly into our lives. I pray you'd speak into lives in this moment. Supernaturally do a work. By the power of your spirit, God, we have your spirit. We don't have a covenant of death. We've got a covenant of life. God, will you call, will you invite some people into new life with you? Will you save some people in this moment? Now listen, if you don't know whether you see God accurately or not, would you just pray to him and say, God, show me yourself accurately. He will. God, open my eyes to see you. He invites you to come. Everybody that will, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, come constantly inviting us to come. If you need to come to Jesus Christ for salvation today, then acknowledge your sin before him. We've all sinned. Everybody sinned. But acknowledge that you need a savior, that you can't save yourself. Ask Jesus Christ to be your savior. You can just pray these words with me if you'd like to do that. Dear God, I believe that your son Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead because he defeated death. He can offer me life. If you believe that, then pray those words. You can pray it in your own words. You don't have to pray the exact words I prayed. And then call upon him to be your Lord. 
That means that he's in control. You're surrendering your life to him. And in this moment, ask him to be your savior. Dear God, I believe in you. And I want your son, Jesus Christ, to be my savior. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that he will save you, rescue you from your sins, He'll open your eyes to who he truly is. And those of you who's already had your eyes open, God, I pray that, that you'd speak to hearts. And while I know generally that you want to transform all of us into the image of your son, Jesus, I don't know what you're working on individually in every person's life, but you do. And God, I pray that you would convict and rebuke and encourage and, and challenge and do your work right now in the hearts of everybody in this room. But in each one of us, will you give us a passion for your son, Jesus Christ? Will you help us to see his glory, that we are loved, that we are being pursued, that we, are, we have a helper in the Holy Spirit, we've got a comforter, or we've got a convictor, and that at every life circumstance that you speak into it, that we, we can mistake and think that the gospel is just to be reconciled to you, but it restores us to your presence. And God, will you show us your presence in our lives today? As we step on our mission for you, empower us. As, as we try to overcome and battle sin, will you give us the strength to desire what we should desire over the things that we're tempted with? God, will you speak in ways I couldn't even guess? In Jesus' name I pray.